0: Hello everyone, this is Jerome. I serve as a community pastor here at First Christian Church. Welcome to our brand new podcast. I'm so glad that we get to serve you today through this message. God bless you. Let's get into the word. Good morning. How many uh, How many of us have been watching the Olympics the last couple days? Everybody? A few, a spattering of us. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta admit, I don't particularly love the opening ceremony. I think that the the shows are interesting, but after, you know, watching a couple of countries walk around, like, just kind of like, okay, let's move on, you know. Uh, but I, I, do, I do love the games. Uh, I, I have loved them ever since I was younger. I can remember um, loving the games. And um, I don't think, though, it was until I, I hit adulthood that I really started to uh, gain an appreciation for Olympians and for really, like, the, what they go through and what they put their bodies through to make it to the pinnacle which is the Olympics and how incredible that that is. I'm, like I said, I've been watching a little bit of it and um, I've heard at certain times a number of different commentators talking about certain athletes and saying that man, they would quit their full-time jobs to do this full-time. That, that getting to the Olympics and training for the Olympics becomes their full-time job. Which is just incredible to me. This the amount of time and energy uh, that it takes to get your body to a point where you can compete in these games um, and, and get a bid to go to these games, and um, I was thinking about that last night, uh, and I was also thinking about this message this morning, and um, that, that prompted me to uh, look up Simone Biles, and if you don't know who Simone Biles is, um, you should know who Simone Biles is. She is uh, perhaps the most decorated uh, Olympic, uh, American Olympic gymnast ever. Um, and I would say probably one of the more decorated North American athletes ever. She is incredible. And uh, I was, so I was curious about Simone Biles and what, what is her routine that she uses to, uh, to get to these games? Like how does she train? And so I looked up a few articles and I read through a few things and I was able to kind of piece together uh, more or less her daily routine. So what Simone Biles does is she, she wakes up uh, around 7 a.m., she eats breakfast and then she goes to the gym for about three hours. She, after, the, after the gym, she comes home, she eats lunch, she rests a little bit, and then she goes back to the gym for another three hours. After the gym, she will do what she calls uh, cross training. So she, she'll do an activity that does not involve gymnastics. So she'll, uh, she'll bike 10 miles or swim a mile or something like that. Um, at that point, she'll eat a snack. She goes to therapy, comes home. Uh, eats dinner, rests, and then does it all again the next day. She, she trains for seven hours a day, every day, six to seven days a week, to get her body into uh, shape to get to these Olympics, or stay in shape to perform at such a high level at these Olympics. And that just is incredible to me, this regimen that she goes through. And I mention this uh, because this morning we're continuing in our mini-series Within Like Jesus, and talking about what it means to pray as Jesus prayed. Last week, Chuck walked us through that our prayer life with Jesus offers direction and guidance in our life. And this morning, we're going to continue on with that and talk about our prayer life and our routines in our prayer life and our rest in Jesus. Like Simone Biles and many of these such incredible athletes that we're watching right now our prayer life and our rest in Jesus is critical for us to prioritize to create these daily routines for us to to uh, be connected to the Father. And We'll talk about this morning why that is so critical why that is so important and our scripture this morning shows this in Jesus life and, and how he models this both to his disciples And to the people around him. And so our scripture this morning comes out of Mark chapter 6 verses 30 through 46. It's a longer section of scripture this morning. But what we're going to do is we're going to break it up into three different sections. Because I think that there are three different significant things that God has to say as to why our prayer life. And why our routines and rest in Jesus is so critical. But before we do that, and before we dive into this scripture, I want to talk a little bit about the context of this, because it is key for what we're talking about this morning. So this uh, section, what we're about to read, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, that's our scripture this morning. Uh, a little bit before that, a few, uh, a few sections before that, uh, Jesus has sent out his 12 disciples. He sent them out to do uh, what's at least recorded their first uh, lone ministry. Uh, by themselves they, they go out two by two and they go to these surrounding villages and this what we're about to read here is the first recorded time that these disciples have come back now to Jesus and this is the first interaction that they're having since Jesus has sent them out to do ministry on their own. So remember that context because like I said it's key for what we're talking about this morning. So let's dive into this scripture. Like I said, we're going to dive in three different sections here, uh, starting here in verse 30. It says this, "'The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, "'Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest.'" So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So let's pause there for a moment. There's a couple of takeaways of what I want us to take from this uh, section of scripture this morning. And the first one is this, that Jesus prioritized rest and solitude, and so should we. Jesus prioritized rest and solitude, and so should we. So we can see in this scripture almost immediately where Jesus places this idea of rest and solitude and prayer life with God on the pedestal of life. He almost immediately prioritizes this for these disciples. These disciples have just returned from an undisclosed amount of time doing ministry, going off and telling others about Jesus, and it stands to reason that these guys were exhausted we can gain from the context that this was likely a long period of time or a longer period of time that these guys were gone. Jesus sends them into from village to village. They were staying at different people's houses. Scripture says that they were involved with a lot of different people, that they touched a lot of people's hearts, that they drove out a lot of demons, like many different people that they touched. And so we can derive from this that it was likely an extended period of time. It wasn't just a day or two. These guys likely were gone for weeks or months at a time. And so they were probably exhausted. And Jesus recognizes this and looks to take them out of this environment for the moment. He recognizes that they are physically, that they are spiritually, and that they were emotionally exhausted and that they need rest in this moment why is this key? I had, a, I had a baseball coach in high school who uh, he, he would always emphasize the importance of not overdoing something, not overdoing a workout, not overdoing a drill, not overdoing anything, especially when you're tired. Now, of course, there's something to pushing through when we're tired, and that's a, that's a part of life, that's a part of athletics as well, But what he wanted to drive home to us is that when we do stuff and when we do activities, when we are exhausted, when we're tired, we can tend to get into bad habits. So for example, one big one for me was I would tend to take too many swings off of a tee. And what happens when you take too many swings is you you get tired, so you start dipping your, your backside and you start popping everything up, essentially. And the problem with that is that you get into these habits that you bring into games. And so now, not only are you, are you popping up balls in, in, in the, the cage, but you're doing that also in the game. And there comes a point, essentially was his point, that, that you are no longer doing yourself any benefit by what you're doing, by continuing to push through these boundaries that we set for ourselves around rest are important. And here Jesus models this to his disciples, these these healthy spiritual and physical boundaries. He's saying to them, yes, these people who are coming in and out to see me, to see you, they are important. And yes, doing ministry to them, making disciples from them, telling them about me, that is important. But Jesus shows here very clearly that our personal health is key to our walk. Rest and Sabbath matter. Solitude and quiet time with Jesus matter. Those things are important. Jesus knows exactly what it means and what it is to be human. And with that, he knows what we need and how we function best, and that is through the ability to recharge and to be connected to the Spirit, to be connected to the Father. And he models that here for us, and he expects that we would make that a priority as well. And there are several key reasons for this, why rest and solitude are so important. We see this, that Jesus makes it a priority, but why is that? Why are these important. As we read on here, we get a couple more important details about exactly what those are. So Jesus and his disciples, they're just about, they're they're getting in the boat, and they're going off into a solitary place. But as we read on here, we find that that doesn't happen quite yet. So picking up here once again in verse 33, it says this, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot to all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. When Jesus directed them to have all the people, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Yeah, that's right. A lot of (laughs) long scripture there. Long scripture, but... We can see some important aspects of this. We read this, right? We read this long section of Scripture, and we might say to ourselves, Tyler, this is the exact opposite of what you just said. Jesus here in this moment does not make solitude and rest a priority. In fact, he serves this large group of people. And that is true, but what I want us to recognize here in this moment, and we'll talk more about this here in a moment, was that solitude and rest here in this moment, were delayed, but they were not canceled. They were delayed, but they were not canceled. And like I said, we'll talk more about that in a moment, but what I want to focus on here for a second is how Jesus addresses his disciples in this moment. The disciples came to Jesus, and they have a valid request. They say, Jesus, these people here, it's getting dark, and there's a lot of people here. You have to let these people go to go to the villages for for them to be able to buy food for themselves in order they're not going to eat tonight. This is a valid request that the disciples bring to Jesus. And I love, I love how Jesus responds to the disciples here in verse 37. Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says very plainly to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And the disciples are shell-shocked, right? They're like, Jesus, there is no way. It's like, do you see the thousands of people that are here? There is no way that we possibly could feed all of these people. We don't have the resources to do that, even if we wanted to. And it's here that we find our second point this morning, which is this, that being attached to the vine blesses others. Like, being attached to the vine blesses others. And what does it mean to be attached to the vine? Very simply, very plainly, being attached to the vine, being attached to Jesus, gives us the nutrients that we need to produce good fruit to show the world who Jesus is. To love Jesus, or to love people like Jesus would. Being attached to the vine gives us the nutrients in order to do that. And here, in this moment, and in this section, Jesus shows us why that's important. It would have been easy, maybe even easier, for Jesus to to look at these people and to just do this himself, to just feed these people himself. But instead, he tells the disciples to feed the people. Jesus, and Jerome talks about this all the time, Jesus in this moment performs the supernatural. Jesus in this moment performs the miracle of expanding this food to the point where thousands of people can eat. But Jesus gives the food to the disciples to perform the natural, to serve the people who are around them. Jesus empowers the disciples to do the natural thing in serving the people. But in order for the disciples to do that, in order for us to do that, as Jesus calls us to do, in order to bear fruit, in order to serve people, we have to be attached to the vine. We have to be attached to the vine. We have to be receiving that nutrient. Uh, I I don't know how many of you uh, watch The Office, uh, but that is one of my all time favorite sitcoms um, ever. And uh, if you're not familiar with the show, essentially it is a, a workplace comedy that is set in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, the main character, his name is Michael Scott. He is the, the boss of this office. Um, and one of the episodes, Michael gets lost in the middle of Scranton. He doesn't have his, his phone. He doesn't have his wallet. He, he gets lost. And so the, the, the other folks back at the office have to go out and try to find Michael. And so this, this group goes out, and one of the, the women in this group, her name is Holly. And Holly ends up uh, marrying Michael at the end of the, the, the season. But Holly is following this, uh, this weird paper trail that Michael is leaving. Like, really strange things that nobody else really notices or would notice, but she kind of was like, maybe he went this way and this way and this way, and they're following him. And eventually, Holly ends up finding Michael at the top of this random building in the middle of the city. Right? And, and she opens the door, and she's like, Michael, what are you doing up here? And, and both at the same time, they look at each other and they say, I thought that I could see Dunder Mifflin from up here. Right? They, I thought I could see Dunder Mifflin from up here. And what's incredible about this is that these two know each other so well, and that they are so in sync, that they know each other's desires, they know each other's tendencies. And this is what Jesus desires for us, this is what it means to be attached to the vine that we are so in tune with his heart, that we know him so well, that we are so attached to this vine that we share a heart for other people, that we share a heart to serve other people, and in that, that Jesus would empower us to serve others well like the disciples here, Jesus puts us in these moments that we can bless others through the work that he is doing in us. But that doesn't happen unless we are actively in, attached to the vine. For Michael and Holly to be this in tune, they had to spend time together. They had to get to know one another. They had to know what, each other's, what, what makes each other's hearts tick in order for them to have this moment. And likewise, for us to know Jesus, we have to be willing to spend time with Him. We have to be willing to add Jesus to our daily routine, for us to pray with Him, for us to read Scripture, for us to read this book, to us to get to know His heart. In order for us to fully serve Jesus, we have to be attached to the vine. But how do we do that effectively? And I want to talk about that here at the end as we look at the final two verses of our scripture this morning. So Jesus has fed this group, or Jesus and his disciples have fed this large group of people. The work is done. And now Jesus here is imploring his disciples to move forward in verse 45, which says this. Immediately, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. That brings us now to our final point this morning, which is this. That rest and prayer are critical to our personal and spiritual well-being. Rest and prayer are critical to our personal and spiritual well-being. So remember back with me, we said that this rest and this solitude that both Jesus and the disciples are looking for were delayed, but they were not canceled, correct? And so now we see this happening, that this rest and solitude was delayed, but it was not canceled. Jesus has sent the disciples off to go have this rest and solitude time with, them, with themselves, and then he goes off and does that just with him. He goes to be alone. And we see this. Jesus does this so much throughout Scripture that he goes and, and goes to be alone with the Father. So Jesus does this. The crowd has been fed and taken care of, and Jesus goes to take care of himself and his disciples. And this, it says in this Scripture that Jesus does so immediately. Immediately, Jesus does this. Jesus doesn't say, I'll get to it after this laundry list of other things that I have to do. He recognizes that his solitary time with the Father has waited long enough, and he is going to go off and make this a priority. And I love this story because it bookends with Jesus modeling the importance of quiet time and prayer. First, Jesus is concerned about the well-being of his disciples, right, after doing this long stint of ministry. And now we see that perhaps it is even more crucial and more important for our personal well-being that we are able to spend time alone with the Father. Jesus serves this crowd and he teaches his disciples and like the disciples at the beginning, I imagine that he is drained. I imagine that Jesus is drained and so he goes to spend time with the Father. He goes to do this for no one else but for Him. To go alone and to feed His soul. But again, now we're left with this question, how do I do this effectively? What does this look like? Okay, if this is so important, if this is so critical, how do I do this? How do I align myself with the Father in my quiet time and my solitude? And I think that if we look at Scripture as a whole, as as the, the whole story of the Bible, I think that there are three things that we can look at as it relates to us spending time with the Father and how God relates to us as his people and how we relate to the Father. So three things that I think that show how to engage with effective solitary time with Jesus. And the first one is this. To see God's story as a whole and not just individually. I see God's story as a whole, and not just individually. In, in Genesis 1, in the creation story, we can see very clearly that, that this book right here, this book is designed to tell a whole story, a whole narrative of the world. And yes, it is written for us, and it has things that, that, that can tell us about our personal life. But at the same time, it is written as a whole narrative of the world. From start to eventual end, this scripture says everything that we need to know about both ourselves and then also about the world and the people around us, and we are called to engage with scripture in that way. The story, of course, is for us, and it has things to offer about us, but at the same time, being able to read this through the lens of other people and how other people might experience this story. And what God is doing in and through others. And to engage with Scripture in that way gives us a heart of empathy and compassion for other people. So we are called not only to engage with Scripture on a personal level, but as a whole in the story and this meta-narrative of the world. So that's the first thing. See God's story as a whole, not just individually. The second thing is this. To engage with Scripture through personal brokenness. Okay, so when we do engage with Scripture, and we are to do this through a lens of personal brokenness, oftentimes, I know that I certainly do this, whether consciously or not, when we engage with Scripture, we have tendencies to see ourselves as the good guy. Right? We see ourselves as the good guy. We're David, right? we are not Saul. We are Peter and Paul, we are not Judas. Right? We have a tendency to look at ourselves in that lens. But Psalm 14 clearly reminds us that there is no one who does good. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to engage with Scripture in a, in a cloud of just shame all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But what, what I am saying is that God implores us to be consistently aware of the places that we need to repent, to be consistently aware of the brokenness that we see through the story of, of the Bible, through the story of Scripture, and to call that out in us. And to move our heart consistently towards Jesus in a place that he can shape us to look more like him. So engage with scripture through the lens of per- personal brokenness. And the last one is this. To practice diversity in prayer. Jesus models uh, this, a variety of elements of prayer, uh, in, in the, the Lord's Prayer. And we see this, that Jesus, just in four short verses, he he prays for a variety of things. And we see that, that in our prayer life, we should also be praying for a variety of things and for a variety of people and in a variety of ways. And so what I want to do this morning, I think that there are four different things that we can take out of, well, I think there's more than four, but I've boiled it down to four different things that we can take out of the Lord's Prayer. And what we're going to do this morning is, on an individual level, corporately, we are going to, we're going to work through these prayers together, okay? And and I'll walk us through as we go, but first, if you're not familiar, the Lord's Prayer goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in that, there there are four different sections, or four different things that I think I want to highlight this morning about how we are to pray with Jesus. So the first one is this, a reverence for God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus, you are so big and so powerful. I am nothing compared to you. There is a respect that comes through those words. Being able to say those things to God in our prayers centers us in this place when we open up our prayers. The second one is to lift up needs and praises, both for ourselves and for others. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, I need you to show up. I can't do this by myself. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me my daily needs, please. I need you. Okay, so to present our needs and our praises to God. Number three, we just talked about this to ask God to reveal blind spots in us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, there are places that I miss it, that my heart does not look like yours. I need you to drag those out in me. I need you to show those to me, and I need you to shape my heart to look more like yours. And the last one is this, and I struggle with this one individually, a stillness before God. Oftentimes in my prayer life, I I pray and I talk a lot, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with talking. But I also think that there's something unique about sitting in the presence of God. We don't say anything. We just sit with God. And I think that we see that also in the Lord's Prayer. So as we close, the last two minutes here, what I want to do is I want to practice this together as a congregation. So if you would bow your heads with me. Pray on an individual and quiet level. Let's first pray a reverence and for others. Let's do that now. Third one we ask God to reveal blind spots in us. And we offer up repentance for the things that we have done and the ways that we have fallen short. reveal those and ask God to reveal. Finally, we practice the stillness for God. Sit in quiet with the Lord. big idea for this morning is this, that through daily rest, solitude, and prayer, God empowers us to serve others and cares for us personally. These elements are not only important, they are critical to our spiritual growth and maturity. So as we close this morning, I just want to leave us with three questions for us to consider as we go this week. First one is this, is time with Jesus honestly a priority in my life? Is time with Jesus honestly a priority in my life? Do I make space for the Father? The second one, if the answer is no, that's okay. But we need to ask ourselves the question, what routine or routines do I need to establish in my life to make that a priority? Where are places in my life that I can make the Father a priority? And lastly, what is God trying to grow and cultivate in me and my life through that time and through the individual time that I have with God? What's God trying to cultivate in me? Let's think about that as we go this week. Make our time a priority with Jesus.